You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma podcast. Mike Hearn here, your host, back with another episode. Excited to share this episode with you today. But before we do, I've got to thank our sponsors. First of all, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. They've been a huge part of this podcast for the last few years. So the Oklahoma Hall of Fame have been sharing Oklahoma's story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com. And for daily updates, go to Oklahoma HOF on Instagram and give them a follow. Our other sponsor today is the Chickasaw Nation. Now, the Chickasaw Nation have sponsored pretty much everything in Oklahoma. They're a huge supporter of Oklahoma. And it's an honor to have their name and their brand supporting this podcast. So a huge shout out to Governor Anatoby for supporting this podcast. It really means a lot. Our third sponsor is Diffie Ford Lincoln down in El Reno. Now, this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine, um, play a lot of golf together. I've bought my cars from them. Do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, diffieford.net, and then on Instagram at diffiefordlincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmund. Citizens Bank of Edmund has been serving Edmund since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to mycitizens.bank and follow them on Instagram at citizensedmund, as well as Go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, four years now, I think. And it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, So yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hearn here, host, back with another episode. Um, <clears throat> this is it's going to be a very exciting episode. I'm pumped for this one because uh, recent, you'll, you'll know with all the stuff that's going on in Oklahoma City with um, the Thunder just on an absolute tear at the moment, um, but also the arena and then the news and all the cool stuff. But um, the man that runs that building is with me today. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Chris Samro, who is the GM of the Paycom Arena. Great to be here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming down. Um, we share a love of royal blood together. Um, what a great show that was at Canes, right? We did cross paths my first time at Canes. And, uh, was it really? It's, uh, it's great to see talented artists in smaller venues and exceptional energy they put out and uh, a band I came across several years ago that I still follow and when they come to the state you gotta make the effort to support them yeah I was uh, that was the first time I'd seen them live and I'd listened, you know, listened to the music for a while obviously I'm from the UK so I kind of heard them when they were coming up in the UK and um, I missed them the first time they came to Canes and, and I saw this they were like you know we're going and and it seemed like they were at home that show right like I was very rarely do you see someone play live and you're like this is exactly what they sound like on the record and they were they were loving life out there every song feels like a ballad that you're going to sing along to the riff whatever it is the drum the, the drummer was in 
he was going at it. Um, and Keynes too. Keynes is obviously a hundred years, I think, this year of Keynes Ballroom. Which for you, someone who's in the industry, like it's special to go to a location like that and have that history, the nostalgia, the feel of like. I mean, it's not a big room, and I love seeing people at Keynes. Now it was special. It's a. I try to go out and support you know live music wherever I can, and it's it's something that is truly like I'm a fan like mm-hmm. I do it for my my profession but I'm a true fan of great live entertainers and musicians and so uh, whenever I gotta get a chance to uh, get a night off to go somewhere else I try to take advantage of that and I've got a running list of kind of shows that are coming through the region and if I can match those up on an open night I, I try to take advantage of that and um, I, I enjoy it the same I did 20 years ago so yeah yeah so let's talk a little bit about kind of you and your backstory and, and kind of how you, you know where you grew up and how you get into kind of where you're at now um you're like me you're not from here um like I said I think you said before we started recording you've been here five years um so I got a little bit a little bit of time on you but um it's fun being uh an outsider in Oklahoma City because it doesn't take you very long to feel like you belong here and people do a very good job of that and that's why I love this place um, but tell me about you where did you grow up and, and what were you like as a kid yeah definitely a welcoming community five years in uh, loved our experience in Oklahoma City so far um, I was born in Sioux Falls South Dakota but raised in North Dakota okay. high school college and so I've, I definitely feel I'm a Midwest you know, a person, and uh, we spent a lot of time in Minnesota at the lake in the summertime. So transitioning to Oklahoma City uh, felt very similar. It's, I always say it's just like Sioux Falls, except for there's one skyscraper downtown. The people are welcoming and warm and kind, and uh, we, we sure appreciate this middle America, kind of Great Plains um, culture and character, and we think Oklahoma City is a very special place. What, um, obviously a little cold up in North, North Dakota in that area too, right? Yeah. I got friends from up there and they like being down here in the summer, I know that. Uh, music, music really kind of a huge part of your life and entertainment early on or not? Always has been. Okay. I remember back in uh, kind of late elementary school years, uh, I don't know if it was an art class or something like that. A teacher I remember once told me like, hey, like you got to draw something besides like stage and lights and like is there a straw tree or something. And um, I would I would enjoy getting a map out and kind of plotting a, if I was on tour, what were my 30 cities I want to go visit and what order. And, and so at an early age, I was always really interested in, in live entertainment and touring. And, and I'll never forget the first you know shows I went to and how it really captured me. So it's always been yeah. something, like I said at the beginning of our discussion, like I'm a fan. I'm a fan first and really uh, have a passion for, for the live event experience. Yeah, and I, I, I assume this, but it, staying a fan only helps you in the business, right? Because once you get bogged down in logistics and numbers and all the stuff that goes on with, you know, touring, a band that touring, there's so much stuff that goes on behind like the actual production and the show, but you, you never want to lose that fan, that kid mentality of like, no, we're here to like, we're here to have fun. We're here to put on a show. And, you know, when you're running the arena, 
you have to put yourself in the fan's shoes, right? Not in the shoes of, I have a spreadsheet and we've got to do this, this, and this, because it takes the fun out of it straight away, I'm sure. I, I think if you if you don't have that authentic passion for it, like it, it can it can wear on you really quickly. It's a yeah. it's a hard industry with with lots of hours, and it's not a family first job. Like your your schedule revolves around your venue calendar, and uh, and you try to be respectful and balance it out as best you can, which is imperfect. But if you, if you're not there for the right reasons and the right why, I think it's probably. Uh, a descending career path that you don't enjoy. I still wake up every day and I'm excited to drive downtown Oklahoma City to think about you know, what the next challenge is. And we get to start with what if and what about and could we ever every day. I would be a terrible like rinse and repeat employee if I had the same job every day. And uh, I feel very privileged to come in to the office to have a job that it literally every day is different. And if I ever lose the goosebump feeling when the lights go out at a show, I need to, I need to move professions. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel that way about golf. <laughs> so I have everything in my life I can tie back to, to golf basically. And that's, that's the way I feel about it too. I still get giddy when I drive to the golf course. I'm just like, I remind myself as being an eight-year-old thinking I get to go hit balls today. Um, so yeah, never losing that mentality is, is, a huge goal of mine and obviously it is for you too uh let's go back what was that kind of first like music moment that was just like yeah this is a band that i love or i mean we're driving in the car with mom and dad listen to it right like what is that kind of kind of pinpoint moment for you for music i, mean, I think it was back at second third grade listening to our you know, fm radio and, and and hearing some of the rock acts that were out that i really were fond of and then all of a sudden, I got my first cassettes, and then you get your double cassette player, and junior high had CDs, and um, I've always just spent my extra time listening to music. And even now at work, uh, most of the time, I have music playing in the background, and very eclectic, very different every day. I think people are very confused, like, wait, you were listening to this yesterday, now this on the spectrum today. Um, but I appreciate great artists in all genres, and so I really try to, to branch out and expose myself to lots of different um, yeah. you know, musical tastes and so um, music has always been very important to me that couple of being a sports enthusiast I think really has led to a great match uh, in this industry yeah yeah do you play in any instruments growing up I was a percussionist okay. yeah so I played the, the drum set and it's something I, I've missed um, yeah. doing actively over the years and I, I really hope to get back into it more actively um, but I'm always yeah. tapping the table in my leg and annoying my kids and um, <laughs> I still love it and that's one of my uh, fond memories growing up right yeah are they in music as well have you kind of pushed that they, you know not pushed but like in strongly encourage them to get into music yeah it's funny my, my son started playing percussion a year yeah. or so ago and it's been kind of fun for me to watch him kind of develop the same side side of uh, yeah, yeah. enjoyment to it as I had yeah so you, so you said earlier you said as a kid you were always kind of drawing you know like stage lights and bands and kind of you know thinking about the top 30 cities you'd go to did you think at a young age and you just mentioned too you have a huge love of sports did you think at a young age that you would go down the you know route of like I'm not maybe I'm not going to be an artist but I am going to be involved in a band touring logistics at some point like was that a moment a I always, yeah I always hoped there was something in that space yeah didn't know what it was I mean at, at first you always think you're going to be in a band right, right. that probably was a, a diminished you know vision very early so I didn't really know what the path would be like and so kind of backed into the the arena side of the industry um but without the intention that, that was the career you know, 
path I would choose. And you know, two decades later, I'm still doing that. Yeah. Um, but always want to do something in the sports or entertainment space. Okay. What did you go to school for? Marketing. Same. Yeah. And I did because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. Uh, just kind of like seems like an easy thing to do and feel like I'm good at it. Yeah, and, 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 and you are, and it shows, and I think it, marketing for me was a good match because it was general enough where I got to touch a lot of different spaces yeah. in business uh-huh. without being um, really you know, pigeonholed into one, yeah. and I think that's, that's paid off long-term because I, I, I do enjoy more than just marketing, and I, I enjoy the whole the business approach um, to what we do with the venue industry and sports entertainment and uh, I think marketing was a great great path to go down yeah where'd you go to school uh, University of North Dakota okay Grand Forks uh-huh. uh, up near Canada and uh, great school great city and enjoyed my time up there very much yeah, yeah yeah so you're going through university you got kind of like the you know people coming to you hey like what do you do after this junior senior year you're trying to figure out um, do you have any kind of really cool in- internships that time that would just kind of set your fire light and, and kind of Set some, set some things in motion or not? Yeah, the most valuable um, experience I had coming out of the university is I, I served as student body president. And okay. so that really exposed me to some, you know, great alumni doing different things across the country and try to kind of narrow my focus down to what I wanted to do. And I think I sent a flyer out for a few jobs I interviewed for and never, never got. So I coming into my senior year, I still had no idea what that next chapter would look like. So um, it wasn't a clear destination at all. Yeah. And, and at this point, is mom and dad like, just like, well, I mean, you got to figure your life out. You got to get the typical kind of parent mentality. You got to get a job. You got to start somewhere and start a career. Like, what was that scene like at the time, too? I, uh, I was very lucky to have very supportive parents that, that didn't push or panic. They think they knew we'd I'd find my, my path eventually. And uh, yeah. um, it was, I was very lucky to have their support throughout that process. Okay. So where do we go from there then? How, you graduate and you think... I got the wilders at my feet now. I can do whatever I want to do. Well, I had a semester left of school, and that's really where I think my kind of journey began into this into this industry. And like many other great journeys, it started on spring break in Las Vegas. Of course. And, uh, and, and, and many things aren't how you plan them to be, but in Grand Forks, there was an alumni who was a very successful uh, casino operator in Las Vegas named Ralph Engelstead. And the city of Grand Forks suffered a devastating flood in 1997. And Mr. Engelstead said he wanted to um, do something for the community that would provide dividends for generations. And so he said he's going to build the greatest college hockey facility in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, I knew one person who knew Mr. Ingolstead. And I said, hey, we're going to Las Vegas where Mr. Ingolstead lives and works. I want to meet him and thank him on behalf of the students for this unprecedented gift he's given to the, the state. And this contact said, yeah, I'll, I'll check with him and I'll, I'll let you know. Well, came time for our trip, never heard back from him. Went to spring break uh, after a couple days, this one day in particular, doing your typical spring break activities of going to libraries and museums sure. and uh, uh, touring the parks. Yeah. Came back one night and the, that red light was blinking on the phone in the room. And I called the front desk and they said, Mr. Ingolstadt will meet you tomorrow night at his casino at 11.30. You have 10 minutes and come by yourself. So I looked at my, my guys, I said, hey, which one of you did, you know, did this? And they said, no, we didn't do it, it must be real. Yeah. I said, well, I never told, them where we're even staying at. So the next day I went along, went there that night. Mr. Ingolstead was at the back bar. I sat down and, and mentioned to somebody that was there to see him. 
I was escorted in this back room and interviewed by these two large individuals about why I was there and what I wanted. I said, I just want to say thank you for this great gift. Came out, spent a few minutes with Mr. Engelstead, and they said I had 10 minutes. And after about 15, 20 minutes, I offered to excuse myself, and he offered to stick around longer and have a conversation. We had the greatest discussion, but at that time I said, I just want to help you fulfill this vision. What can I do as I'm finishing school? I'll be an intern, I'll make copies. He said, well, look, we're not there yet. We just made the announcement, but I'll let you know. He asked when I was going back after spring break. I said, well, actually, we're going to Minneapolis on Friday for a college hockey tournament. He said, well, so am I. Why don't you fly back with me on my plane? So he wrote down the, the address of his airplane hangar, and he said, if you want to come here Friday morning at 10 o'clock, you can come with me. I showed up, and he was there, and we flew back, and again, I asked him if there's anything I could do. And he said, well, there's not, but I'll let you know. And uh, But but weeks later, I received a phone call, and, and I took a, a part-time job, and we started a company, and we helped design, build, open, and operate one of the greatest facilities in the country. And uh, so I, I realized how fortunate I am that I didn't go through the human resource door and uh, and that was really my my start in the industry and I was able to do it in my backyard I did, I did not have to move to a major market or somewhere far away we did it right there and we lived there for many years and uh, that was a very uh, valuable first kind of chapter of my career wow oh, there's so much to unpack on that like absolutely I, I love that uh, okay so what were you thinking was going to happen with that 10 minutes? Like, what was like dream scenario? Because it seems like you hit the jackpot with that scenario. Yeah, my, my, my hope and my dream was to um, come away with a contact that he would want me to be a part of his organization and team. And here we go. And yeah. now I have a job. And I left not not defeated, but I left knowing there wasn't really an option and they weren't there yet. Um, but fortunately, it came around weeks later that there, there was an opportunity and hopefully I made a good enough impression to him that they uh, they reached out and, and offered that to me. So. Yeah. What, what do you think he saw in you in those 10 minutes that obviously went longer and you had a connection? Yeah, great question. I don't know. I, I think hopefully he appreciated that I didn't ask him for anything. I think I think when you're an individual of success, success and wealth, I think people are always looking for something to benefit themselves. And I wasn't. I was there to uh, express appreciation from the students and offer to help yeah. fulfill his vision moving forward. So hopefully he knew that was authentic and real, which it was, and afforded me at least an initial opportunity to to show that yeah. as he put together his company. Yeah. Well, uh, and the thing like people listening to this might be parents, they may have a son or a daughter that, you know, they would hope would take that opportunity as well, right? And just by reaching out to someone who, you know, there was a huge chance that you'd never get to sit down with this guy and possibly never see him ever again or at all. And, you know, obviously there's a part of you that, that wanted to do that and, and there's a chance and there's a hope there. And I, I love that mentality of, okay, let's ask, right? What's the worst can happen, you know? And like I said, you come back and you see that red light blinking and you're like, oh my gosh. Know, and then you go meet him and he says, yeah, jump on my plane tomorrow morning. And just your willingness to be like, yeah, sure, why not? Like, we're going the same place. Like, a lot of people would have been like, no, let me call my parents, I need to figure this out. Like, no, 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 this is huge. You had the awareness at that time to be like, this is a massive opportunity. This guy and people like this guy move in ways like that, right? They just, let's do it, let's get after it. There's no like waiting around, like, this is the vision, I'm gonna do this. If you wanna come with me, you're welcome to join. And that's a huge invitation. And fortunately, you took that invitation to jump on the plane. And what was that morning like? What was that plane ride like? 
Um, it was terrifying <laughs> you know, because I, you know, they're intimidating and uh, to have him kind of fly you around Las Vegas and show you the NASCAR track he built and the hotels he created and like, you know, someone who's so successful. But you quickly, you reminded that he's a, an average, great Midwestern like we were and we had wonderful conversations that uh, you humanized him very quickly to me. And uh, I learned a lot on that on that plane ride as well as years after that from him. But a few moments ago, you mentioned what I often cite as the most powerful word in the world, and that's ask. I wish I would have understood that power at an earlier age. And I think, you know, I, I would have swung the bat more. I would have taken more risks more. But, but asking, I think, is something that people come to that that line but don't step over it yeah. and I think um, you know I asked the question to get the meaning I asked him for the opportunity and most of the time it doesn't happen but but once in a while it does and I think if, if people asked more for chances or be, to be positioned for opportunity I think they'd be surprised how many times they get it yeah no you're right because I mean I, and we're all guilty of it I'm guilty of it I, I you know you you think oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fire off this email and you draft the email and you never send you never send it or you see that one person and you know very rarely do we get face to face with people and, and you never ask right and you you will never know you know um, you know closed mouth never gets fed it's one of my favorite quotes and it's so true like it's um there's so much power in that right and like you said it when you go into an ask knowing that the odds are you're not going to get what you want, then it makes it so much easier. It's why, you know, some of the sale, best salespeople in the world know that they just have to have 500 no's before they're going to get a yes, right? They exactly. Just keep, just keep asking. Um, so what, are the, what were the great lessons that you took then from the following years of, of building this, this vision that you guys you know, worked on together in your, in, you know, in your backyard? Well, it was, it was very clear to me how transformational creating a new arena in a community was. I think I underestimated the impact something like that has not only physically and economically, but to the pride and fabric of a city. And it, it really showed the power of that. And, and to try to fulfill his vision and his family's vision became very personal to me. And um, I think the lesson I learned just directly from him as a very, very successful you know, business person um, is, to, is to make decisions quickly. Like um, a growth area for me is, is you know, get the initial information, blink, make a decision and move on. And don't methodically take everything in and have to get it right. And we would, we would present him with um, the information we had. Here's the you know, advantages and disadvantages of each path. And he would decide and pull the trigger and we'd go. And so we got, we got a lot done because of that. And it really changed my cadence of decision-making that I still to this day try to improve on and be more like Mr. Inglestead because he had so many things come at him so fast that he had to take the, the snapshot information make a quick decision and on to the next one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you, I, I want to touch on this before we dive any further, but you, you mentioned hockey. So hockey, you said, I love us, but hockey was your sport then. Is that right? Yeah. Grew, grew up very, uh, very passionate about hockey, which is a really big deal in the upper Midwest. Yeah. And so that was the thing up there. And so it's still something I'm very, uh, very fond of. Put on the skates every now and then. In a, in a rec league uh, yeah. scenario, yeah, not never competitively, uh, but uh, a lot of a lot of friends have played, you know, on our rec teams or professionally, right. and so um, hockey is a big part of the fabric of that that community, and so it's um, it's something that I'm very thankful for because it the hockey was a vehicle of 
to create their arena, which then gave me a chance in the industry. Yeah. Has someone who grew up loving hockey and having that opportunity to do the arena and everything, what was that like? You know, because for me, the idea of building my own golf course is just like, that would be incredible. But also it's, it's different when you have a hockey arena because one word you mentioned earlier is the arena is in the community. So tell me a little bit about that. What was it like as a sports fan to, to build, you know, such a place where you get to host the sport that you love? It was a, it was extra special once we opened and we actually could bring people in and see the, the, the memories that are created. I often say we're in the business of creating moments and memories and it really became, um, impactful to me right away that first year to see in a community that I knew hockey was significant, but to see truly how special a place like that was for a platform of creating memories from youth hockey all the way up to professional NHL games uh-huh. and all the other events around it, uh, it's a big deal. And I think yeah. it hopefully created a lot of memories that people will remember the rest of their life. Yeah. How long were you there for? Uh, 14 years. Okay. So was that how you transitioned from there down here? Yeah, I, I, one stop in between, I, I was called by the mayor of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who said, we want to build a new arena. Would you yeah. come to our community? And I was actually born in Sioux Falls, so I jumped at the chance to go there, uh, be a part of opening another venue and running that for a few years uh, with a great team. It was very successful, learned a lot, and from there, the, the opportunity came for Oklahoma City. Okay. What's the main ingredients, then, to opening an arena? Um... I was told before we opened the first venue at Ralph Engelstead Arena that it's a, an amazing life experience that you'll never want to do again. And that couldn't be more true because there's never enough time, there's never enough fixes, additions, enhancements, you know, things to, to create to get to that opening day. Um, but once you get there, it, uh, it's, it's more than special. And it's something that's, if you get to do it once in a career, you're very lucky. And uh, I've had the chance to do it twice so far. And so um, it's one, it's, it's a fantastic feeling. And usually new venues are very successful in the first few years and there's a honeymoon kind of bounce. And so uh, we tried to take advantage of that and uh, you really maximize all the event offerings, like you yeah. concerts, to rodeo, to family shows and sports, everything in between. And it was really great to have that challenge and opportunity to bring as much programming as possible to those communities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's exciting. I think, you know, just the, the huge variety of events that can just go in. Like I said, it's not just a hockey or a basketball or a football arena. It's, you know, it, like I said, it's rodeo, it's monster trucks, it's... Um, you know, the guys from, uh, who's the, has the giant YouTube show that went viral. Those guys were in town, you know, you got the motocross stuff. Um, like it's dude. Perfect. That's what I was thinking of. You know, there's so many things that you can throw on and then you've got like ice skating shows and Disney on ice and all. I mean, it's the, the possibilities are endless, right? As long as you build an arena that can take all that. And that's probably the hard part, right? It's like, how do we build a facility that is capable of hosting, you know, some of the best bull and bronc riders in the world, but also has monster trucks. And then maybe two days later, you got an NBA game uh, and then a concert, having a great sound system. So that, that that's super exciting to, to be in your industry. And I, I know that, I mean, it, it fascinates me for sure to, to be around all those different businesses, people logistically, and because everyone is at the top of their game. Um, how, let's talk about Oklahoma City. How does that come about? Do you get a phone call? Like how, how, how does that all connect? And um, yeah, I mean, how do you go from Sioux Falls that you're, you're born and raised into 
probably a place that you'd never, I mean, never thought you'd end up in. I never thought Oklahoma City would be a destination. And when I received that call with the opportunity, I was a, I was a pretty hard pass on it right away. And uh, I didn't know anything about the state or the city. Yeah. And uh, I said, thank you, but no thank you. And um, about a week later, the, the kind of call came back around again, like, hey, you should think about this. And um, I said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll do my research and I'll, I'll come down and see it. And it was, um, it was very clear to me very quickly once I came to the community, community, that there's something very special here. And it's meeting with the Thunder leadership and the city leadership and the talented staff at Paycom Center to see all the great things that are happening here and knowing that the trajectory is only going up from here. And so I came back with a, a completely different impression than coming in. And I knew I wanted to be a part of what was gonna take place here and help take it from great to exceptional and leave my fingerprints on, on this on trajectory as well. So um, after coming to the city, we jumped at it. Yeah. And we never thought Oklahoma City would be you know, a forever place, but we've chosen to stay here and uh, and raise our family here, and it's been wonderful, and it's only going, going to get better. Yeah. Where did uh, where did those kind of <clears throat> the people who were hosting you like? Where did they take you? Where, how did they sell you on Oklahoma City? We we probably didn't um, do the tour as much as I probably should have taken time for. Uh, I was probably more meeting with individuals, um, but spent most time downtown and was just really impressed with with it, especially after learning what, what it was maybe 20 years ago, 10 years ago to now, and what the plan and vision was going forward. I think that's what was most kind of attractive to us to see how far it's come yeah. and where it's going to go. Yeah. Did you have other opportunities at that time? Um, I'm really fortunate, and there have been, you know, then and now are... Um, it's great when you get a phone call from some, something that's, that's um, something that many years ago you could only have dreamed that would be an opportunity. Mm -hmm. and, and now to get those calls, but to graciously uh, say appreciate it. But you know, we have unfinished, unfinished business in Oklahoma City. Um, that's a good feeling to have and, and yeah. double down here. And um, we're excited for what the future holds. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's going to be an exciting future. Obviously, the vote passed. Um, we're going to have a new, new arena, and you know, which I there was no doubt that it was not going to. You know, the, the city loves NBA basketball, and the team's doing great right now, so that helps too. Um, but it also loves you know everything else that happens in that arena, and that arena and center has been a huge you know pinpoint in Oklahoma City, and I think without it. Oklahoma City doesn't really stand for much, um, and that's the reality. And so, you know, I think if you if that was to go, I mean, why else do people want to come? You know, there's a lot of tourist things people come to Oklahoma City for, but like, you know, I think it's a sad reality if if what you think about like what what Oklahoma City would have been or could have been without the Thunder team. You know, it's I don't want to think about that. It's great the way it is, and it's only going to get better. Um, so you make the decision. You you come down here. You consult with family and, and everyone, and think you know what we're going to move. We're going to start this new adventure in Oklahoma City. Um, tell me about that first kind of six months. It, it was definitely a transition, um, and we had some big goals ahead of us and things to you know improve and you know elevate at, at the facility and. Um, and I think we accomplished a lot of those objectives in a short amount of time. So we were very thankful, um, but definitely a transition, and, um, but an exciting one. You know, the, I think our family up north didn't understand why we would 
move or come to Oklahoma, but every time someone comes to visit, they always leave saying, we get it. We get why you guys are advocates for the city and passionate about it and want to be here. So um, when we can expose others to it, um, they easily come around and see it from our point of view. Um, so thankful for, for the, the, the arena's trajectory and success over the past several years and, uh, and really, really excited for what's to come. So you came, you said you've been here five years. So 2018, 2019 was the period you moved down here. Um, with, with obviously, and, and I don't, I want people to remember, like you, you know, it, it's the arena that you technically work for, right? It's not the Thunder because that's their home, but, you know, it's a paycom center that, that and you're the GM of. Uh, is it ASM Global? Is that who you effectively work for? Correct. I work for a company called ASM Global, okay. which is the largest venue operator in the world. Mm-hmm. The city owns Paycom Center and Pracer Studios, yeah. and they hire an operator to run those on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to make sure to clear that up before we go any further, because I don't want people listening to be like, oh, uh, you know, Chris runs the thunder. <laughs> They're just based out of the arena. For sure. Uh, so yeah, 2018, 2019, moving down here, you said you had some things to clean up with, with the facility. Is, was it more like soundproofing? Is it more just like as a production facility and, and a, an, a, an arena you know, to host, not just the basketball, but to host amazing acts to take this venue to the next level and to force people to stop in Oklahoma City on their way to Dallas on their tour or wherever they're going? You said you had to make some changes. Exactly. I mean, I think we were given a very clear directive to increase the quantity, quality, and diversity of the touring content that came through the venue. So, you know, we had had some great folks that joined our team and really put a strong focus on that. And fortunately, we were able to do that. And I think 2019 at the time was our biggest year of touring ever, I believe. Okay. And 2020 was headed the same way. And so over the past five years, we're very thankful on on the, the, the touring content that we've been able to get, yeah. some of the major, major tours in the world, as well as a good mix of, of different events. You mentioned earlier, from monster trucks to PBR to family shows and, and all different types of genres of music. Yeah. We're very intentional about that. And we're very thankful for what we've been able to offer in the past few years. Yeah. For, for you, that 2019 year, what were some of the huge acts and, and, and that came to town and, and some personally for you that would just like you know the, the inner 16 year old in you was like wow I got to host these people you know some of the major ones you know like Justin Timberlake and Pink um you know, right right out of the gate that year were, were really, really big deals. And and it was a it was a strong I'm trying to think back on the exact schedule, but I mean, it, it was a you know Mumford and Sons and you know some some of my my favorites, you know Chris Stapleton and like very different ones who had not been to the market either ever or for for many years. Guns and Roses, like it was a it was a banner year for us that we were very very thankful for. But we worked very hard at trying to to increase that and and hopefully uh, you know the the community noticed a difference. Yeah, how are the like uh, you know for someone in your position, you know you you up 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 the level of the facility and, and, and but how do you what is I guess the criteria for you know to attract those big acts and you know, to kind of force them to say hey we should really stop in Oklahoma City and obviously they've got to have a fan base there which most amazing touring artists have fan bases all over the country but what is it to do with a facility facility that, that people maybe listening have no idea about that convinces a Pink and a Justin Timberlake to make a stop off in Oklahoma City I think it's deploying a very proactive aggressive booking strategy yeah. and not waiting for the phone to ring and I think it's heavily based on relationships uh-huh. making very aggressive 
aggressive deals and going and getting it. I think that was one of the advantages for me, having started in smaller markets, like which I felt was a very much disadvantage early on to be in North and South Dakota, maybe not the entertainment must play super highway, but I had to learn how to hustle. I had to travel and go get the opportunities because they, they weren't knocking down our door. But I think taking that mentality to a larger market and still deploying the same level of hustle and building your team with very talented people who share in, in that strategy, I think that, that was the initial difference. Once you get the show, you gotta work harder to sell tickets. You can't have a half empty room. You gotta be successful there. And then on the show day, which I think we do exceptionally well, you have to treat them better than anywhere. You have to create a unique experience that they will remember at the end of the tour. Your date stands out and they want to come back on the next tour. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's dive in on that because you guys have won awards on that backstage approach, right? And I came to the backstage experience last year, had a great time. Um, I don't, you know, appreciate the, the, the girls for inviting me to that because it was a lot of fun and just to kind of have that have that kind of VIP experience, right? You know, driving down down the back end of the arena and coming in the back back door and the player entrance and all that stuff and seeing that experience and it was just like, you know, this is you know this is I think I who El, Elton and Cher were there, right? Yeah, I kind of felt felt with both of them. It's great. Um, but to, talk a little bit into that then. What makes it memorable and what you know what for you guys as a team. Because, you know, these artists, they go to, like I said, 30 plus cities around on the tour, maybe more, and they're traveling all over the world. And every arena is trying to win them, right? It's trying to give them a memorable experience. Um, you know, we've got the BOK in Tulsa, right? Like, you've got competition on your doorstep. You know, it's we drove to Tulsa to go to a concert. People do that all the time. So, you know, you've got super close competition. What takes you guys to that next level? And how do you show that touring act or, you know, like whatever it is that's coming to town, it doesn't have to be a musician that like, this is the, you know, this is the Paycom Center. This is Oklahoma City. This is what you should remember. Yeah, we, we adapt a, an unreasonable hospitality approach. Yeah, we, we try to be not only creative, but intentional about personalizing our, our messaging, our gifting, our activations for each tour. Um, not only for the artists, but really, you know, the folks that are, travel all year round, hardworking to put on the shows, we want them to have a great experience. So we really focus on the crew side and the touring personnel side. And I think that's been something that's paid off for us. And um, it's very gratifying when somebody's been on the road for months, he leaves and says, that's the best day we've had on the whole tour. And uh, in making them feel good, naturally will make the artists feel great. Uh, so they have a, an amazing experience and great performance for the guests. But it's the rest of the tour that we really focus on and make them feel special and valued yeah. and I think they they leave here with a different scent at the end of the night than other venues and that doesn't mean we're going to get all the shows because of it but at least they had a great experience here because that is their impression of Oklahoma City we're doing our job to make them feel like this is a great community by feeling appreciated um, you know backstage but hopefully that'll that'll tip the scale and getting us one extra show a year that we may not have had because they know the level of um, experience and the standards that we deploy yeah. and appreciation in Paycom Center. Yeah. How To that point, how do you build out a staff also that has that quality, has that understanding from a backstage mentality as well? Not just on like the services side of like, you know, you've got a great team, but you know, like I said, you, there's nothing worse than for a team that comes in and they're dealing with people who are unprofessional and they don't know what they're doing. It sounds like you guys have built a great team too. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, I think it starts with 
not taking the shows for granted. It's not just another event for us that we truly are appreciative of them choosing to come to our venue. Um, second, it's letting every department know that they are part of the booking team. If 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 the catering's not great, if it's not clean, if it's too cold, like those things all impact the experience. So if those things are not great, the other gifting that we're doing is really marginalized. So it's, it's really making everyone understand that you all are part of the booking team on a show day. Right. I think making them feel that and then sharing the positive feedback we get with all of them and making them know that they had an impact on that day. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but it's a rewiring or create a wiring so that it's, it's the natural feeling. And our super talented booking and marketing staff, they meet every week, focus specifically on the experience that shows will have when they come to the market. And I think that's very unique because that's incremental work. Like that's not part of their job. It's something extra we do here with the Oklahoma Standard. And we deploy that very intentionally and seriously backstage. And I think it really pays off. Yeah, and that you're right. With especially with that, you know, that Oklahoma standard, just going that, you know, just that little bit extra makes a huge difference to, you know, make someone feel right at home. And um, and it doesn't have to be much, right? Like you said, it just has to be a conversation that you're like, oh my gosh, these people actually really care because they did a little bit of research. You know, like um, I heard a quote today. It was like 20 minutes of research adds 20 points of IQ, right? Like. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't take that much to research something that makes a difference, um, especially when you have that little interaction. You may only get 30 seconds with a crew member and you're just like, hey, like I heard you from this town or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, it definitely goes a long way. Uh, so 2019 was just record year. You're filling the books. You're heading into 2020 thinking we're, you know, off to the races, having a great time. And then March happens and you are about to tip off. Thunder's about to tip off um, and you get the call that, one of the opposing players has tested positive for COVID and you got an arena full of people. Um, Brian Burns has been on the podcast since then and spoke about how professional everything was dealt with and talked a little bit about it from the Thunder side. How was that for you as a, the GM of the, you know, Paycom Center during that time? Yeah, 2020 would have been a banner year for us yeah. and, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And it, we were rocking and, and until... 6.40 p.m. on March 11th. And Brian Burns, uh, Senior Vice President of the Thunder, who, who's my partner and um, a big reason why we are so successful on the arena side, um, he called me and, and said, hey, the governor need, needs to take a phone call. Can you let him into your office and come right now? And I literally ran down the concourse in my suit and I met uh, the governor, got him into the conference room, and I said, here you go, take your phone call. He said, you can stay for this, and he put it on speakerphone, and that's when we found out that there was a positive test uh, from the opposing team, and the Thunder executives quickly assembled, uh, brought in you know, Mr. Clay Bennett to the conference room. He contacted Commissioner Adam Silver, and, uh, and the commissioner said, okay, don't play the game, um, and we'll make an NBA statement you know, very shortly. We, quickly descended downstairs by the locker room. They removed the players from the court and we, and we made a plan. And the, the, hard, the, the hard part going through it was as we sat in that room just before tip-off and there's 18,000 people out there so excited, my heart just sank because I knew what, what that phone call meant. We've been on industry calls for days and weeks talking about if this becomes a thing, here are the dominoes. And I knew what was going to happen 
I never knew it was a two-year problem, but I knew that, that this was a significant thing and it was going to start in Oklahoma City that night. So we went downstairs, we safely um, egressed the building, but, but then the work began because there was still so much we didn't know. And you had staff calling saying, am I safe to go home to my kids? Am I going to die? Am I, 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 I high-fived a player. Like, and we weren't exactly sure which player or who was in the building. And there was so many unknowns. And we learned a lot quickly that night as well. Um, but we also had share scheduled the next day in the arena. So that tour was in town. So we were juggling their camp, calling us saying, what's going on? Is it safe? Can we come in? Can we not? Should the show be canceled? And so there were so many things going on. And you, you have hundreds of texts from across the country that people are watching us live, wondering what's going on? Is everything okay? And, and to, to your comment of what Brian had said on your show, it was a great example that night of the organizations working together because they are separate with the Thunder being the tenant and ASM Global being the operator and how well they work together to safely get people out to effectively communicate um, and then really deploy kind of a crisis management strategy from that point on. And, and we thought it was going to be a, a 30 day issue. Let's start rescheduling games and concerts and, uh, and emailing staff and never my wildest imagination. You know, we had Pearl Jam scheduled a couple weeks after that when Pearl Jam finally played the date, I think it was 970 days later. So just, it was a shocking impact. And the next two years was horrible. It was, you know, we we're the first ones to shut down the last ones to open. And, um, but yet I felt like I was never busier because we were always preparing to come back, preparing to come back. How do you make sure you do it safely and take care of your staff and the guests? And it just never quite started um, however, coming out of it, I think we're much stronger because of it. And I personally am much more appreciative of all of our guests, all of our staff, and all these events we have now. When I, when I have those lights out before the artist takes the stage moments, I'm extra gratified because we get to do this again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also from a personal perspective for you too, like as a, someone who's, who's, you know, the GM who's in charge, any other thing that comes up now, nothing's going to compare to that. Like, you can get through that for two years. You can get through pretty much everything, right? Like, you know, you, you go through the worst of it. You're, you're, in, you're on national television in front of the entire world. That Like, everyone's watching the NBA and the eyes are on Oklahoma City and the eyes are on the arena and, and how do you respond, right? And I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to have that text of, or a call from an employee that says, hey, I have I, I to play. Because no one knew at that point, right? No one knew if like they might go home and drop dead. Like everyone's kind of probably Googling COVID, which is the worst thing to do if you Google any, you know, um, virus or whatever it is or an illness, anything. Like you think the answer Google's going to give you is probably going to tell you you're going to die within 36 hours, right? Don't Google it. Uh, but yeah, I mean... To go through that, to have that team, to have that realization and have that faith and, and the ability to, to handle it the way that you guys did, like you guys can tackle anything now. And I'm sure you feel that way too. Well, that's where valued, you know, partners and teammates mean the most because you truly are in the foxhole together and you're in a crisis situation and it makes you extra appreciative of an organization like the Oklahoma City Thunder yeah. who are made up not only of highly skilled people but great human beings too yeah. and they did a great job 
with very high integrity and and uh, it was great to see them in action and uh, you know I, I sure learned a lot that night because there there wasn't a chapter in our how to run an arena book about dealing with the start of a pandemic at your arena um, as there's always things you would armchair quarterback can do differently but we're very lucky and and um, blessed with the, the safe outcome we had but um, but it sure changed the next few years yeah yeah talk talk about coming back then how was that process of you know like I said you basically prepared to come back for two years because you never know when you're going to get that phone call but what was that like to you know what was that first I guess full show back that was like oh this was back to normal now Yep, we, we had one show that we had to do kind of distance seating for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was in the summer of 21, I believe. And um, uh, unique, but it, but it was exciting to have people back in the building. I think we did yeah. PBR like that, a couple country shows. Um, and so it was great to be back doing what we were doing, even though it looked differently, even though it was masks and plexiglass and many different other procedure changes. Yeah. Um, but But we wanted to... I think people were clamoring for the, the entertainment experience again. Uh, you know, the NBA didn't have, we didn't have fans, um, you know, that year. I think we were one of the only ones that, that did that. So it was very different. Like, we'll look back on history at a, at a time and scratch our heads because it was just unimaginable, but it still went on to some degree. So once it came back full force, it's been a, almost a renaissance in 22 and 23 and 24 looks strong as well, that people prioritize those moments and memories you know, very, very strongly. And we get to be a part of help creating those. Yeah, no, it, it's special, right? And you can definitely tell that people have missed live sports, music, entertainment. Um, what, what do you think then? Well, let's just talk about the future a little bit. Obviously, we've had the vote. It's gone through. Um, what does that mean kind of in your role and from your side going forward? So my first reaction to, to the vote in December, um, you know, obviously deep appreciation for the community. But, but the best part about that overwhelming supportive vote um, is not that we're getting a new fancy arena. To me, what makes me the happiest is that here's a community that once again, when given the opportunity to invest in itself and making a bold quality of life decision that they're not gonna see the dividends on for many years, um, that's the type of city I wanna live in. That's the type of city that I want to raise my kids in. So to me, to see the decision that was made at such a resounding level said so much more than we want to build a nice new arena. Um, it's great that the NBA team's going to be here through 2050, but it, but it's even more important that this city did what other markets probably wouldn't have done. And, and that starts really with the vision and strong leadership at the top with Mayor David Holt. I think having a mayor that's, that can see that this is the time for this, we need this, and here's the benefits from it, and we're gonna do this today. And having him you know, charge up the mountain with that flag, I think it, 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 leadership can be very passive and be supportive too, but he wasn't. Yeah. He doubled down, and I think, I think you'll see the benefits of that years and, and decades down the road, but it really starts with him, and all of that is why I feel so bullish on this community. Yeah, what's you know to play your for your role going forward then with the, with this kind of new arena center, what it, you know what Paycom Center is going to be called. Um, how does that look for you know? Obviously, you've opened up plenty of locations in the past and, and gone through 
couple of obviously Paycom's rebranded or from Chesapeake to Paycom as well and you've been through that what are your kind of I guess non-negotiables then for developing this new facility to so that this withstands the test of time and you don't have to raise money in the next 10 years to be like oh we should have done it this way like what you know you got a huge chance to build something epic now um and clearly have the backing of, of the community and also there's a new soccer stadium coming as well right that this was just announced too so it's not just you guys in town there's gonna be a lot of other cool venues too um as the gm what you know what is your input what are the non-negotiables that you really excited about going forward and you know building for this new uh this new building I'm fortunate to be able to travel and see other venues. Okay. And each time I do that, you you recognize kind of the best of the best and to hopefully take those elements to come back to create something that's generational here. I think that that's the part I'm looking most forward to. And I'm hopeful to be part of it through the design and the construction and hopefully operation of it. But the work starts today. Like it, we, we have a little chart at work and we have the number of weeks left till opening and like it if you back it all out the work begins right now to be ready to open in several years down the road um so it's, it's a fantastic time to dream and think about what the the guest experience of the next you know generation looks like and how how do we do things differently here so oklahoma city can be a true destination for sports entertainment even more than it is today and i think once we do that and do that correctly i think people are going to see how special it is and the benefit of all the extra events that come with it and guests from around the country and uh, hopefully create a one-of-a-kind experience for all those folks yeah yeah i'm excited i can't wait to see what it looks like um you know it's I can't say to see the you know the architecture and and you know it's going to be a statement from the outside and it has to fit into downtown and it's you know it's not just a, a, an arena right it, there's a lot of you know it's going to be do you, do we do we have kind of like a um, a draft or number of just like hey it's going to be this many seats and this is what we want to do is that even an option yet or is that because because the one current one now it's not one of the biggest ones in the, in the NBA right as far as the Thunder Arena the Cedar Stadium. What is it compared to like all the others? It's not capacity-wise. Paycom Center is is up there. Okay. With some of the larger venues, of square footage of the building, it's the smallest. Gotcha. Okay. And so, no decisions have been made. Lots of discussion, but I think that's why you you bring on a high-level architect and general contractors that can help you um, design the next generation building yeah. with all the new trends and technologies that, that they're deploying today and create something really special here. Yeah. You mentioned you get to travel, you get to see the best venues around the world, um, you know, also around the country and maybe around the world. What are some of the best places you've been to and things that you'd love to incorporate in the new arena if you get the opportunity to? There's great arenas in the United States, you know, whether people... Phoenix and Atlanta and Los Angeles and um, Milwaukee and, and many, many others. But to me, building a new arena, the opportunities to think beyond that. What are great elements in, you know, special hotels or museums or ballparks? And how do you incorporate those into a next generation uh, venue? So it's thinking well beyond um, other professional sports arenas. I think it's a, it's a big opportunity to look at the best of the best what's out there yeah. and build an appropriate but a generational facility. Yeah. Have you been to that is it sphere in Vegas yet? Have you seen I that? haven't. No. I saw some of the guys from the Thunder team went, went out there to see it. Um, I think Will and Brian went out. Maybe that was just a personal trip. It looked like they had a blast. Haven't been out there yet, but it does look incredible. And obviously they've spent 
an outrageous amount of money on it, which that's just a very Vegas thing to do. Um, anyway, that'd be, it'd be cool to have a giant screen at, at some point, I'm sure, in the, on the building. Finishing up, um, let's talk about something like uh, just some personal things for you. Who um, who surprised you this year that was a that you got kind of hosted at uh, at the Paycom Center? Any acts or, or things that you, that you hosted that you got to see that you were like, wow, I did not expect these guys to blow me away, but it's pretty good. One new artist who who sold out his very first NBA arena is a artist named Jelly Roll. Yeah. And was incredible, an amazing talent. Um, I couldn't say enough about the backstage experience that he had and his team had. Um, you know, that was fun. It's great to have... You know, the return of just staples like Kenny Chesney and Blake Shelton's and, um, you know, they always are very successful here, but they enjoy their experience and they have great things to say about about the market. Uh, and we're very excited what's to come. You know, we have yeah. we have multiple Drake shows coming up and multiple Zach Bryan and multiple Turnpike Troubadours and 24 is going to be a great year for us and we have more exciting announcements to come. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're so thankful and so excited because I think our job is to, number one, make the community proud of their event center. And number two, you bring these events into the region, some of which who may not have been planning to come here and create the best guest experience possible. It's, it's much bigger than competing against Tulsa. Yeah. When they, they come, they're looking at the region, you know, multi-states at a time, and they can play maybe four days in this part of the world. Well, how do you fight against all those other cities to get your opportunity? And so we, we try to do our best to position Oklahoma City to be considered, and once we get them here, we want them to come back. But to come back, like I think it's important that the community understands we have to support live music at venues of all sizes. It's not just about, about the arena level. We need the Tower Theater and the Jones Assembly and others to be successful because when they're successful, artists keep moving up in their capacity rooms. That's what builds toward arena level acts. And if one of those levels in the food chain is not supported, that can kind of break that progression and growth in the market. So I, I strongly encourage people to continue to get in your car and drive to other cities, but, but make sure that you take care of Oklahoma City first and make these venues successful so they can keep bringing back the great entertainment that we so much enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, to that point, I think, you know, I, I watched Gary Clark Jr. at the Jones last year. Um, I've seen multiple shows at the Criterion and a lot of comedy shows at the Criterion, actually. They've kind of found their kind of niche in comedy, which I think is great. Um, yeah, I think our general music scene is growing. And the guys at the Tower, they get it, right? They, you know, um, uh, Chad and Steve at the Tower. Um, I think it's Steve. Uh, yeah, Steve and Tyler. That's why I remember his name. Um, you know, they, they do a great job too. And I think it's just the love of... Oklahoma City does love music, right? At any level. Uh, and and it's great to have that. And for us, it's obviously selfishly great to not have to drive to Tulsa or to Dallas to see someone that, you know, that we really want to see. Uh, finishing up, last question. If there's anybody that you would like to have play at Paycom Center and you get one go, you get to have this one artist, band, whoever it is, who would you like to have? Realizing they've already played. Okay. But uh, a close one to my heart is uh, Foo Fighters. I would love to see them at some point in the next few years, realizing their arena days are becoming much more selective, um, to have them back because I think they're an authentic American rock band, 
of good guys that uh, put on a great show and one of my favorites and um, always want to try to go out of the way to see when I can, but that's a selfish one. Yeah. But uh, um, but my favorite artist of all time that I've seen um, who's no longer around anymore is Prince. And like if I could have picked one from all the ages to say who would you want to have, that would be one that I would, uh, to bring Prince in, it would be a... That'd be a dream come true for sure. Okay, awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for um, an hour of your time. Thank you for sharing some great stories. Thank you for taking care of this wonderful community center that we have in the middle of downtown Oklahoma City um, and doing the job that you do. And obviously, um, you know, by spending an hour with you, I know that it's not just you and you you would say this, it's the team, but, um, you know, you are the front who stands in front of that team and most people talk to. So um, thank you uh, um, to yourself. Thank you to the team and everything that you guys do. I wish you a great year in 2024 and to continue winning awards for your backstage um, work that you do because no one really sees that other than the artist, right? And, and you know, you're, you're the touch point for Oklahoma City when people come to town. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I really appreciate it because I like to see better acts and I would love to see Foo Fighters come to town. I don't have to travel to see them either. Um, they, they were fantastic live the last time I saw them and Dave Grohl knows how to throw it down. So um, yeah, thank you so much for coming in. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's been an absolute blast. And uh, for people listening, we'll catch you next episode. Cheers. Hope you guys enjoyed that great episode. Thank you so much for listening. As always, huge shout out to our sponsors, the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, sharing Oklahoma story through its people since 1927. For more information on the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, go to www.oklahomahof.com and follow them on Instagram for daily updates at OklahomaHOF. Our other sponsor, the Chickasaw Nation, amazing sponsor they do amazing things for the state and they're always sponsoring something in oklahoma they're a huge supporter of oklahoma and without their support we wouldn't be able to do what we do and our third sponsor is diffie ford lincoln down in el reno now this one makes me so happy because these guys are great friends of mine um play a lot of golf together i've bought my cars from them do most of my oil changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in El Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, a third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in El Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new used, um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um, check them out, DiffieFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffieFordLincoln. This episode is presented by Citizens Bank of Edmond. Citizens Bank of Edmond has been serving Edmond since 1901. They pride themselves on investing in the community and are here for all your personal and business banking needs. For more information, go to mycitizens.bank and follow them on Instagram at CitizensEdmond, as well as Go bank there because I bank there too. It's been a fantastic personal experience for me. I've had my podcast account there now, my podcast business account there now for a few, four years now, I think. And it's been fantastic. So definitely worth your time. They're a great group of people and they're always there to answer the phone when I forget my password because I seem to forget it daily. Um, so yeah, go to Citizens Edmund and um, check them out. It's been awesome. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.